0: sifter for the ear news interviews reviews cinema tv streaming
1: action hi y'all this is jerry williams aka tv jerry the 16th annual ampersand international arts festival in williamsburg will bring over 60 events including live performances film screenings industry panels and more it runs february 27th through march 5th and tickets must be purchased online I'll include a link to their website on the webpage for this show at TV Jerry.
0: Jerry came by when we were working on the main title theme, and we were just throwing out sounds. So I was bringing up sounds, different horns, different things, and then we hit on those lip pops. And Jerry really liked it. We got a mix, he was hanging out, and then he called Larry David on the phone and held up the phone to the speakers and said, hey, what do you think about this? So that's how that ended up getting approved for the sound of that main title.
1: That was Steve Lack talking about helping create the theme song for Seinfeld. Steve is a sound designer, mixer, engineer, and composer. He started his career in L.A. for shows like Seinfeld and worked in D.C. on documentary series including How It's Made, Myth Hunters, Shark Week, and The Puppy Bowl. Now living in Richmond, Steve talks about many aspects of sound design, including creating sound for Who's the Boss?
0: Sifter, review of the week.
1: Shrinking on Apple TV. Jason Siegel heads the cast as one of three psychiatrists in a practice. Jessica Williams and Harrison Ford round out the trio. He's dealing with the grief of losing his wife and trying to re-establish a connection with his teen daughter. Meanwhile, he's trampling over the ethical standards for doctor-patient relationships in an effort to make them better. Yes, there is dark humor abounding, but there's plenty of smart comedy all around. Siegel's basic nice guy persona works well here. Williams and Michael Urie, as a friend attorney, turn in enjoyable comic characters, but it's Harrison Ford who shines with his delightfully gruff delivery. The makers of this series have excellent pedigrees, Ted Lasso and Scrubs, and their ability to create interesting people and put them in humorously challenging situations expands with each episode. I gave Shrinking four and a half out of five stars. Steve Lack, you're a sound guy. And I know on the website, it talks about being a re-recording mixer and a music and dialogue editor and even a composer. Why don't you give our listeners just a quick little idea of what the difference is between what is a re-recorded mixer and what is a dialogue editor and those kind of things.
0: That's a great question. Yeah. A lot of work that I do for, it's now Warner Brothers Discovery, but when I was up there, it was Discovery Channel, is taking shows that have aired in a different format and recutting them for a different clock or for a different market or with different content. So a re-recording mixer takes all the different stems, the dialogue, the music, the sound effects, and puts them all together, does a final mix, fills in the ambience, and lays that back to a fully mixed track, back to the output, sends it back to the editor. It used to be we laid it back to tape, now we send (laughs) it back to the editor to create the file.
1: Well, now, what is the difference between just a regular recording mixer and a re-recording mixer?
0: I guess if you're talking about music, you'd be recording the band,
1: right? Right, a mixer would be right. A
0: recording engineer, it's usually the same guy who does the mix, but sometimes there's a different person from the recording engineer who does the mix, right? And dialogue editing, like in the DC area, and for the type of work we're doing with like documentaries, reality TV, and spots, things like that, it's all the same guy. In LA and someone in New York, where you have more of a union presence. You'll have one person is only a dialogue editor. They take the dialogue, they clean it up, they cut it to the script, they fill in ambiences, they do noise reduction, and they deliver a track of dialogue. Somebody else is a sound effects sound designer, sound effects editor. Somebody else is a music editor, music mixer, music designer. They send all their different tracks back to the re-recording mixer who puts it all together into the final mix.
1: So he re-records everything, essentially. Exactly. Duh. Yeah, and
0: it comes <laughs> from the days when you know, you'd have all these different reels of tape. Right. One quarter inch has the music on it, another quarter inch has the dialogue on it, and they're all rolling in sync, and you're mixing them back to a final master on another piece of tape. It's
1: a little again. more complicated than it is now because you had to do it all right or stop start over again or
0: Yeah, well it's it's I'm dating myself, but you know, having started mixing to tape, I was a, a beta tester for Pro Tools before version one back when, oh, wow. when they were converting from sound tools which was a two-channel system into a multi-track system of Pro Tools.
1: Footnote. Pro Tools was the first major digital application for recording and mixing sound on a computer. It was introduced in 1989.
0: That just changed the industry. I mean, it changed the way everybody works. And, I mean, the things I'm doing now, where I can be in Richmond and work for clients in L.A. and New York and D.C., aside from the Internet and, and all the other modern things, would been absolutely impossible without everything going into the box, basically.
1: You mentioned DC and I know you've worked for Discovery, Animal Planet, Science Channel, NBC, Al Jazeera, and NPR. And lots of interesting shows, shows that people are familiar with, like how it's made and Myth Hunters and Shark Week and the Puppy Bowl. Good heavens. The getting ready to come up again this year, the Super Bowl, of course. So so what did you what kind of sound is there on the puppy bowl except some dogs whimpering every once in a while? Is that about oh, no, it?
0: Puppy bowl's a great project. A lot of the work I did was an hour's worth of nonstop, incessant cheering and crowd noise. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> you know? So, and you would just run the crowd, loop it, you know, something happens on screen and you ah push the fader up, you know, <laughs> or add an applause or add a, a laugh.
1: All right. Wow. That's funny. So you, you know, who's going to win the puppy bowl before everybody else does
0: yeah i guess so i never thought of uh starting a betting pool and using that knowledge yeah yeah
1: yeah so what are some of the uh interesting challenges that you've had i mean obviously you're sitting in a room setting a computer all day but what kind of challenges do you find in doing that
0: nowadays since i i have my own studio and i'm i'm working on my own you know i work basically solo i've had to become the engineer in the studio days if something stops working, you just pick up the phone, call engineering, go out for a cup of coffee and let them fix it. Right. You know, nowadays you'll find me crawling around underneath my console <laughs> looking for a connection. Right, and, right. Or more than likely Googling no sound from Pro Tools. <laughs> <You know>?
1: right, <laughs> right, right, right,
0: right. That's the big the big challenge in the type of work that we do with television, especially. Uh there's a lot of creatives involved. So a big challenge has always been to figure out what their vision is. And it's not necessarily what you would have thought of doing and sometimes you bring that to the table you say well why don't we look at it this way or why don't we do something like this here and other times and it depends on the producer a lot of times the producer will, will want you to just do what they ask you to do and other times they'll want your input so i'm sure it's the same with editing sure um, yeah yeah yeah
1: do you have any interesting stories about any of these shows that you can tell us
0: yeah i have a lot <laughs> i mean i go way back you started
1: in la is that correct
0: yeah, actually, my most recognizable work, aside from the Discovery Channel things, is I was the music production director on Seinfeld. I worked for the composer Jonathan Wolf and that time was MIDI rack, MIDI mixing, making sure all the gear was working, running sessions, and producing source music and the music cues for Seinfeld. Early on in that, you know, Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld or actually, Jerry came by when we were working on the main title theme, and we were just throwing out sounds, trying things. Jonathan, the composer, had that bass thing already going. So I was bringing up sounds, different horns, different things, and then we hit on those lip pops. And Jerry really liked it. We got a mix. He was hanging out. And then he called Larry David on the phone and held up the phone to the speakers and said, Hey, what do you think about this? So that's how that ended up getting approved for the the sound of that main title.
1: Huh.
0: I left that show after at the beginning of the fifth season. That's how I ended up back east. They had done the pilot for Seinfeld. And George Wallace, that was a comedian, he was a friend of, of Jerry Seinfeld's. And so George Wallace suggested, hey, why don't you get... My buddy Jonathan to take a look at your music and that's how it ended up basically being a career making gig for us <laughs>
1: Wow yeah yeah I don't guess you get residuals from that
0: yeah I mean I did I, I did a couple pieces of source music I didn't write any of the cues or theme song or anything but thank you musicians Union they have something called reuse so I do still get paid something whenever it airs on a different medium so when it went from network TV to syndication, i get something for that. And then when it went from syndication to streaming, when it went on Netflix, so uh, DVD sales. So I do, yeah, it's still, it's a gift that keeps on giving. Though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like all the stuff we did on sitcoms, I worked on Who's the Boss, Married with Children, Seinfeld, Dave's World, all those shows. And they're all 90 sitcoms, but the publisher still gets 50% of the royalties. So whoever the network or the production company was is the publisher. Right. But the composer still gets 50 gets a 50 percent of the royalties and the things that i get on seinfeld were from musicians union contracts so i was listed as a electronic percussion keyboard player and band leader on the show for every every episode there was a, a union session so that secondary it's called secondary markets fund and this might be kind of in the weeds that still provides you know pretty uh decent payday
1: so what about some of those other shows from the 90s what are some interesting stories you can tell us about any of those famous sitcoms those uh, 30 got, year old sitcoms now
0: i have a story that i like to tell and it kind of shows you the personality of one of these actors i was uh driving down ventura boulevard all by myself one day the show was who's the boss start tony danza i worked for the composer so i was a member of the crew but i wasn't a, a name or anything at that time i was very young i stopped at a red light and I hear, "Hey, Steve, Steve!" And I look around, and and there's a Jeep Cherokee next to me with tinted windows. The windows roll down, and Tony is like, "Hey, Steve, how you doing?" Uh-huh. And it's like, and I thought, "Damn, the only time in my life a famous person will ever recognize me on the street." And I'm by myself.
1: Yeah, really. (laughs) You could have had a couple of friends to impress. That's too bad. It would
0: would have been great if I was on a date or something. (laughs) Yeah,
1: exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that would have been a lot more cool. Well, so now on that show, you're doing a little bit of composing and mixing and a little bit of everything?
0: Yeah, I was a sort of a music editor, music supervisor kind of a gig. The composer, you know, wrote all the music. But that show had what they called uh, sound-alikes. Like every week, Tony would turn on the TV and something would be coming out of it.
1: Like a game show or a yeah, documentary? Or, uh,
0: like one time it was, um, I Only Have Eyes for You. Then one time they went to a resort in the Caribbean and Angela did a dance to the song Hot, Hot, Hot. And so they would buy the sync license, but not the master license. So we would have to recreate the track to sound exactly like the original track. But That was a big part of my job there is I would do a transcription of the record as close as possible get live musicians in to play it as close as possible. We would A, B it against the record. And then we get a singer in who could kind of imitate. We did, uh, oh, that's how um the main title theme on Married with Children was uh, Love and Marriage. It was Frank Sinatra, but it wasn't Frank Sinatra. Oh,
1: huh, I didn't know that. So now why don't you explain for our listeners syncing and mastering?
0: Those two words you just dropped. The master license would be you buy the rights to use the actual record on television. Right. The actual recording. Recording, right. Yeah. And that's very expensive, and right. a lot of times you can't do it. But sometimes they'll give you what they call a sync license, which means you can synchronize the song to a picture, but you can't use the original. So you're buying just the rights to use the song itself, but you have to recreate it, and then it just can't be the original.
1: Oh, wow. So that's what you had. Is that That's crazy. I would never realized that. You're basically completely plagiarizing it, but that's okay as long as you pay it.
0: Yeah, we're paying for it because the record company owns the master, right? but the publishing company owns the song. So the publishing company will let you do it and the record company won't, basically.
1: Did you ever find a time where you just couldn't figure out what that sound or what that was that they were doing and you just had to
0: let it go? or? For me, I mean, I was in my 20s then, so there would be times when I thought I had it, but then Jonathan, the guy I was working for, would look at it and go, no, no, that's the wrong chord. or or no that's not a an alto sax that's a soprano playing up playing down low or you know things like that yeah i never no, i never really got stumped because it was it was usually pop music it was fairly easy
1: what would you say is a pet peeve that you have as a sound mixer editor with the directors or the producers or the editors who either do or don't give you what you need or tell you something you don't need to know or whatever
0: a lot of times you'll get sound like especially in a, a reality TV or, or an indie doc you'll get sound from the set and they'll think oh we'll just fix it in post so you're spending a lot more time and a lot more money trying to fix something in post than you would if you just captured it correctly in the first place
1: you're right take it took a few extra seconds to just make sure that that's right ah uh, yeah yeah
0: or get that mic in there as close as you can you know if they're wearing a lava and their jackets squeaking you know, go move the mic and and people think now there's some great tools now. I mean, amazing things that, that didn't exist even five years ago for getting rid of background noise and cleaning up sound. And who knows where it's going with all this AI stuff right now,
1: but,
0: but, you know, there's no magic button. I mean, everything has a trade-off. So if there's a truck going by during your interview and you think, oh, we'll just get rid of that truck in post, you're also going to get rid of part of the sound of the person's voice too.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because i had that happen uh, i did my dirt woman documentary that i sent it to in your ear they did the mix for me and there was one particular guy who I can't remember what it was, i think it was like in a big echoey room or something and they got rid of all that it just just sounded normal when they finished and i have to tell you something else she's talking about sync licenses in my documentary there's one piece of video i could find anywhere of dirt woman actually performing in drag so somebody sent me the footage and i was like this is great i got dirt woman dancing but he was dancing to, of all songs, "Billy Jean, by Michael Jackson. Oh, wow. <laughs> so needless to say, I was not even going to consider trying to get the rights for "Billy Jean. You know, that would have been crazy expensive. How did you get from L.A. to back to the East Coast?
0: That's a funny story. <laughs> so when I was working on Seinfeld, I was, as I mentioned, pretty young. And I was going to Carnival in Trinidad every year. And one year I went to Carnival in Trinidad. And while I was there, I was having such a good time. I... I decided that i didn't want to leave so i um went back to la and kind of started wrapping things up and i said you know what I'm, I'm moving to the caribbean to be a diving instructor and lay on the beach for the rest of my life wow and so on the way there i stopped in miami to get my diving instructor certificate so i could do that and i met my current wife so then i continued on to trinidad and it was supposed to be forever and I kept flying back to Miami every weekend to be with her till I ran out of money. And then, <laughs> and so then we got married and had a family and we were in Miami. So I had the opportunity to start working for Discovery Latin America. Oh, okay. And so I was working for Discovery Latin America down there. And that's how I ended up basically up here at Discovery and Silver Spring.
1: Why do you want to stay in Florida? Well, I know why, because I'm a Floridian. I didn't want to be back there. But why did you want to? <laughs> why didn't you stay in Florida? Why did you want to move to back up here?
0: The opportunity came up in in Silver Spring, and it seemed like it was a more interesting career path. And I was taking shows, removing the voiceover, recreating the M and E's uh, music and effects track, so that they could re-record them in Spanish. Oh, Okay. So when the opportunity came up up here. I, it seemed like a good move. And I've never, I love Richmond. Although that was in Silver Spring, we ended up in Richmond and I was commuting for a while. And finally we moved up to Northern Virginia, but we kept coming back here because we like it so much. What do you like about it? (sighs) Richmond's great because it's like, it's not a big city. There's not a lot of traffic. It doesn't have all that stressful stuff that you get in, in a big city, but it has great restaurants and it has interesting art museums and there's cultural things and the people are nice and friendly and the weather's great. I mean, there's that snow line is a real thing. Like you get north yeah. of Fredericksburg and you're in a different world. Wow. You
1: know? So what are you working on these days?
0: Still with my work with Discovery Channel, I've been doing a lot of uh they take they're taking their shows and reversioning them into podcasts. Oh really? So, yeah, it kind of goes back to that re-recording mixer kind of theory. I'm taking a lot of the stems from like um, investigation discovery shows like Nightmare Next Door, Who the Bleep Did I Marry, a show called Scorned. And we did some Animal Planet shows, uh, Dogs 101 and Cats 101. But yeah, so we take the stems from those shows, remix them into a podcast length. And podcast specs are different than TV specs as far as loudness and, and level nice. and things. So We're basically taking that and turning it into a podcast, doing some editing, cutting out, you know, commercial breaks and things and releasing those as podcasts. So I've been doing a lot of that and I'm just coming off of a year as a producer, which was a new role for me on an NPR syndicated show called Our Body Politic. It's an NPR radio show, weekly show that's also released as a podcast. And that kind of really catapulted me into more podcast oriented work. There's... Because podcasts right now, as you know. Um, yeah,
1: we're on the way right.
0: <laughs> it's just they're everywhere. I mean, it's a it's a great new it's a great new opportunity for talent and for content and for audio people.
1: What would you say the biggest cause like you said, everybody's doing podcasts and actually this is my second. I did one for eight years and this one's been a year. What would you say is the biggest suggestion or hint you might give somebody who thinks they want to start their own? Good get a good mic. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, I mean there's <laughs> Yeah, that's interesting because I have like you know um, I'm thinking of starting a uh, tips on how to start your podcast podcast. Or oh, okay. from okay. Audio perspective, and I've just been brainstorming ideas, concepts. Of, well,
1: maybe you want to save it for your podcast. Yeah, <laughs> no, but I mean, it's
0: like, <laughs> what kind of mic do you want to use? How do you get a good sound? How do you avoid background noise issues? But also from what I learned from working on our body politic is you know finding your voice. Who's your audience? And what do you have to say to them? And who are you? Who do you want your audience to see that you are? So it's really about finding your voice. Aside from the technical stuff, I mean, the technical stuff is my wheelhouse. You know, it's like sure, right. I'm all about mics and sound and yeah. what plugins to use and spec and all that.
1: I know you do. Most of you work for these companies in other areas like D.C., How is the Richmond community? Are you involved at all in the Richmond film, video, audio production community? Or is you just your little loner sitting in your house doing your thing?
0: I have a couple of, I mean, I did some work for the Martin Agency. I have one client who does impact video and corporate video work. When the pandemic hit, we were in Northern Virginia and everything went remote. And I said, this is my opportunity to come back down to Richmond. So I've been now a little over a year permanently down here with my new studio down here and I we met last week at the Virginia production Alliance event and so I am any Richmond indie filmmakers out there TV streaming producers or people looking to do podcasts I'm local and I'd love to work with you
1: there you go that sounds like a good finish but I got one more question to ask you
0: Uh, what are you watching I am watching your honor on Showtime which is great
1: the second season has just started, didn't it?
0: Yeah, it's, it's really compelling. Yeah. And it's really frustrating that they won't drop them all at once. And you have to wait every week. <laughs> I know
1: we've gotten so spoiled by getting, you know, Netflix ruined it for us. Cause they started the binge trend, but you know, back in the, probably even, maybe even 10, 15, 20 years ago, we all almost everything you had to wait a week for, so we've just gotten spoiled.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, I and mean, when we were doing production, we would be like two weeks ahead. We would, um, tape the show like on a Thursday right the first edit on a friday the music guys we'd get it on tuesday it would go into post on wednesday and it would air the next friday you know yeah yeah we're always but we're always a week or two ahead now you got to do the whole season i mean now they're getting back to episodics but but for a while the whole season had to be in the can before they dropped
1: that's a good point i hadn't thought about that yeah and and the other side to that is, there's no adjusting if things need to be, because you know back in the old days, if people, the old days twenty years ago, if they got a lot of public comment that said we really hate this, what's happened to this character, they could rework it. But now they've created the whole series, they've shot it, so it's done.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. It's almost like those series are almost like twenty hour long movies.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I have a thing I call series fatigue because, you know, you're just looking at those thumbnails and you think, oh, let's see what, oh, it's a series. It's 10 hours. I don't want it. Let me see a two hour movie.
0: Yeah. Well, and when something's good, like we're also, we're watching Mayfair Witches.
1: Really? Okay. I've started on that. I can't get into it. I loved Interview with a Vampire, their last series that AMC did. So what do you like about it?
0: Well, my wife's a big Anne Rice fan, so she's she's like, we got to watch this. Yeah, I like it. I don't. I just find it. I mean, I like all the spooky stuff, and it's not gory and violent, right? And we're we just also started watching The Last of Us. I'm not a huge like. I didn't like Walking Dead because I'm not a huge fan of gore and violence and all that. But The Last of Us is interesting because it's it's more character-driven yeah. and action-packed
1: and actually yeah i have to say and i've been disappointed because i'm caught up on that too and i'm like where are the zombies when are they coming back and a, then <laughs> i started reading why isn't this thing like the walking dead there's not a lot of action beats and they said well it's much more about the relationships and avoiding the fights as opposed to having the fight so i'm gonna stick with it but so far i'm like nah, i'd rather see a few more zombies
0: yeah, that, see, that, that's what speaks to me, is I really like the character-driven content.
1: Steve, I want to thank you very much. It was great to meet you just a couple of weeks ago and already get you on the show, and we'll look forward to hearing from you soon. Unintended.
0: Thank you, I appreciate it.
1: That was Steve Lack, a sound designer, mixer, engineer, and composer. A link to his website and more is on the page for this podcast at tvjerry.com. Coming soon. In theaters. Cocaine Bear. Yep, a grizzly discovers a cache of powder in this campy send-up, starring Keri Russell and Ray Liotta in his final performance. Jesus Revolution. Kelsey Grammer plays a pastor who embraces a young man's counterculture crusade. Emily. A biographical look at Emily Bronte. Luther, the Fallen Son. This is an expansion into a feature film of the British crime series starring Idris Elba. My Happy Ending. Andy McDowell plays a famous actor who goes incognito for a medical treatment and ends up bonding with three women. Bunker. A group of World War I soldiers are trapped in a bunker only to discover a mysterious presence. Ambush. Moving forward in time to the Vietnam War, Aaron Eckhart and Jonathan rhys myers star as two soldiers in a quest for classified information. God's Time. Two men race through New York City to stop a woman from killing her ex. TV and streaming. The Consultant on Amazon Prime, Christoph Waltz, stars as a micromanaging boss in a high-tech company, Comedy. The Reluctant Traveler on Apple, Eugene Levy, brings his unique personality as host of yet another travel show. Bruiser on Hulu, a dramatic examination of toxic masculinity. We Have a Ghost on Netflix, about a young boy who discovers the titular character haunting his house. Party Down returns to stars after a 10-year break. It includes stars Adam Scott, Jane Lynch, and Megan Mullally. Outer Banks returns to Netflix for season three on a desert island. You know, you can subscribe to this podcast in any of your major services, or you can go right to the website, click on the podcast tab, and there's a link. Next week, hear about how the folks in Nelson County fought Dominion's Pipeline in a documentary featured in this year's Environmental Film Festival. This is Jerry Williams. Thanks for listening. For more Sister, including literally thousands Thousands of reviews, reviews. visit tvjerry.com. That's
0: a wrap.